Welcome to Moving Target, my Rockfin exclusive. Joining me today is Monica Perez, host of Deep Dives with Monica Perez, here to discuss her body of work, the censorship she's experienced, and what she sees going on in the world today to get into some deep conversations about any number of things, which is why I love this show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's great to share a screen with you one-on-one. We've been on Union of the Unwanted together, but this is more fun. Yeah, it's nice to finally connect, which I love that show, by the way. I just love the idea of connecting with all the different people and different minds and many different perspectives, right? That's that's what this is all about today. And it's always a thrill for me. I just love it. I never know who's the guest going to be or what other podcasters and we the stuff that happens in the chat on the side there. You get a lot of information on there that yeah. I find like to be a real privilege. Right. I just love the, the the just multifaceted perspectives and opinions. And that see, that's what most people don't expect. They think that we're all jumping on to scream about the same things. And no, I mean, you'll find wildly varying opinions from all walks of life. And that's, I think, just kind of hopefully showing people what we should be striving for, you know? I, go ahead. The first time I ever said anything on that show, I was like, oh, yeah, Trump's fake or whatever. And they were just like, you know, half the people were like, you. And they're just like, what? What? Right. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. Like, I didn't even know. So anyway, it. it was. But and then I was like, they're never going to fight me back. But of course, then other people chimed in and we right. I always get invited back. Well, the, the, the primary people behind it, you know, Ricky and, and Sam yeah. and and, yeah. and 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 uh, Charlie, you know, they're they're They, right. again, all have varying opinions, but very much open to the idea of which I think we share the idea of the two party illusion right the idea that this is not really what it looks like today <laughs> totally for sure and that's a really important part of all this i mean to me the most important part and i, I feel like i'm almost beating that dead horse to a degree today where it's irritating people on all these sides even people maybe in the middle but i just feel, i see it as the linchpin that is stopping everything from changing at every at every main topic I agree. And what's even worse now than when I first discovered that is that both sides are really post-ideological. So even if you looked at like old Swedish, quote, socialism or whatever, if they had a real authentic belief in the ideology and the government was trying to implement that, I think any ideology would work. Now they kind of have the same ideology, which I call the liberal fascist center or the welfare warfare super state. And the two party thing is used only exclusively to divide the people and get them to think that there's an opposite. But it's it's getting more and more like a football game where it's like, I think everybody's playing the same game. They're just wearing different colors. The world's not going to change if one side wins or the other. Everybody's praying for the right outcome. It's 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 become all form and no function even at this point, I think. Well said, too. And I mean, that's so incredibly important that the idea of what this is doing and how it divides and, you know, it. what's frustrating, the, the, the analogy used there, it, I've been saying this this for a while, the team sport politics, that's exactly what this has become, where it, I mean, we've, interestingly enough, we saw the, the, the topic on, I think it was Bilderberg of post-truth world, right? That was a while ago when that was already kind of happening. We all seen, but yeah. then we saw this weird shift 2016 forward where I argue that's what they were aiming to create. A situation where, as a, a phrase I've been using a lot lately, that everything means nothing, nothing means everything. Really, which what it's whatever they say in that moment, and we go people on the sides march along with it or disagree with it. What are your thoughts? That's that's funny because I had an observation about Obama, and then a similar 
observation about Trump, which was, I, I remember when Obama was running, there was really no, no meat on the bones. You would have like, they called it hopey changey. Like you'd have posters that were hope and change. And I made the analogy of Dr. Who's psychic paper. So he would go and give you like a white card and on it, you would see whatever he was telling you. I'm from the FBI. You know, you would see it. So right. I was like, Obama's psychic paper. Like you just see his campaign platform as whatever you want. He said nothing and you projected everything. Whereas Trump was at a very similar impact, but he had the exact opposite thing. And I coined for that the art of ambiguity. So mm -hmm. he would come out and say, uh, the immigrants are a bunch of rapists and they're also nice people. So if you ever try to have a conversation with somebody who's like, you can't say immigrants are rapists, right? And they'd be like, but he said they were nice people. You're completely misquoting him. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm just saying he says everything and you pick what you want and the other side picks what they want. And it right. still means nothing. That is a great point, and that's so interesting. I, 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 great way to frame that too. I definitely picked up on that during Trump's administration and how he, you know, he's obviously a schmoozer. I mean, that's what he. You can read his books. I mean, he's, he's, he's. I, I'll give him credit for being really good in manipulating people and or, or reading people. He's, he's good at that, and he's also a really great troll, right? So you can see how he plays this game where he walks the line either way. That's a really great observation because it does allow them to pick out what they want and ignore what they want, which is exactly what I'm pointing out in the two-party paradigm every day, you know, where we're talking about COVID or some of these things we'll get into today, where it's just, you know, blind to what they don't want to see as long as it doesn't associate or does associate with one person or the other. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So I think this is, I'm so glad we see that and more and more are beginning to see it too. I think with everything yeah. that's been happening, whether, whatever reason they seemingly rushed this in or fumbled their effort, it's woken up a lot of people. And I think that's why the Ukraine narrative collapsed and everything's happening so fast and people are just starting to question a lot more things like, hey, let's, let's research GMOs because that's something we, you know, it, it's this whole conversation has been broadening this whole time. And I mean, I feel like they're quite desperate right now. It's just my opinion, but. Yeah, if we one of the big picture things I, I was hoping we could get to later, kind of Absolutely. like what I think is the super big picture kind of folds into why are things changing right now? Why mm -hmm. is there seem to be a paradigm shift and what is it really all about? Yeah, I completely agree. Well, well, what, later. Let, let's start. Let's start off with I want people for my audience who may not be familiar with their work, we, we, you know, just to, you know, brief or as long as you'd like it to be. How did you get into this and, and yeah. what? You know, what's your background as you were talking about radio and everything else and what made you shift into doing what you're doing now? Or have you always been doing that? Like, give us a little background on you. Yeah, I mean, I I just have evolved as the circumstances changed. And my background, which I think makes me kind of an unusual voice, is that I was super nerdy. I mean, I grew up really poor. I'm the youngest of nine. I dropped out of high school. I ended up my like kind of my mom. I was my mom's last hope. And she convinced me to go back to school. I went to community college and there was a program there. I ended up transferring to Harvard with, they took all my community college credits and uh, I graduated with, I actually was accepted as an anthropology major because they were looking for those. And the advisor was like, you'll get in. I was like, okay. And then I realized I feel bad in back uh, in retrospect, but I asked to switch to economics because I thought it would be more practical. I just was sick of being poor. And I ended up at working at a commercial bank. And then um, from there, it was like a little easier to, I went to law school and business school. I kind of got the lay of the land, like how you make money in this world. So I became an investment banker and uh, there was a huge crash in 2001, I guess. And I lost my job and then I had a child who had Down syndrome. So I just kind of stayed on the sidelines, but I was getting kind of bored. And I thought I'll go back to work eventually. And I started taking these tests, the um, chartered financial analyst test. It takes three years. You got to be, you know, really 
it takes a lot of studying. And I thought I'll be poised to like have a job that's kind of hard to get. But my mind was on fire. And every time I like looked at the news or whatever, I started realizing it was funny. It's like almost like it heightened my um, pattern recognition. And I stumbled upon Hans Hermann Hoppe at that time. And I realized that uh, society was self-ordering and this idea of a self-limiting government was a utopian fantasy. People say libertarianism is a utopian fantasy. It's the idea of self-limiting government that's the utopian fantasy. And I was at a wedding and next to me was a, a radio producer and I was just like, I'm just a mile a minute. I was just fire hosing her, you know, just fire hose. And uh, she said, she was like, can you, can you talk like that with nobody responding like for hours on end? And I said, ask my husband. And he was just like, "That's funny." Uh, yes. So she said, "Because that's the hard part about radio." And she introduced me to her boss, and he gave me an on-air interview, and I had a show on that station, which was the number one news talk in the country for whatever that is worth. It was in Atlanta. It wasn't the biggest market, but it had this um, really powerful. Uh, platform there. And I had a show for eight and a half years. And I saw a couple of things changing. Like it was a family owned company, Cox, and then a financial sponsor was buying it, Apollo. And I just, I started noticing like some changes and I just was nervous. And I knew that my program director who used to, I think he used to actually, you know, have some relationship or worked on Art Bell or whatever, but he loved me because he loved Art Bell, who was the, I think he was the original coast to coast radio guy, or he's of that ilk. And so he just was like, you're saying something different. I don't care that you're a chick with a Spanish surname. That's all great. But you're not a conservative. You're not even just a libertarian. Like you're seeing through this stuff. So I was on that show. I had Monica Perez show on WSB for eight and a half years. And I mean, he, even when my producer, who was the gal who kind of discovered me, would tell me like, no, 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 do not say the Boston Marathon bombing, like that those guys worked for the US government. Like, just don't say any, like people will run and scream. And that was like the bottom line. The program director was like, you can say whatever you want, as long as you separate facts from opinion and people don't run and scream like it's a car wreck. And I was like, okay, I, I had to get the hang of that. But I, I was trying to do the Boston Marathon bombing in real time. And I had a hard time, like, I had to always crack the code. I wasn't just reading the Wall Street Journal newspaper headlines. I had to crack the code. And when it came to that, and I was really going to tell what I thought, because there was evidence that that older one worked for the CIA, and there was a video on CNN that he was arrested before he was killed. Like, there was stuff in evidence, and she was just like, you can't do it. You can't do it. And I was like, then I'm not doing the show. So we got the program director on the, the phone and he said, if you if this is what you really believe, you can back it up, like go for it. So that guy was always going to be behind me, but he was retiring in February mm -hmm. 2020. And this other people came. And then um, I got a new producer who was like, oh, I, I, so I started doing the podcast with my sidekick, Brad Binkley. And the new producer was a fan. And he was like, oh, bring that to the radio. Like, really let your hair down. And I was like, really? Like 9-11? And, you know, I still wouldn't like, I mean, like Israel, even just saying that you object to their foreign policy on a neoconservative radio, like, I would get hate mail for even. I was like, I, uh, no, <laughs> you know, I went 9-11. Uh. And he convinced me and I kind of did. So that last month I had, and I used to spend a lot of time on election integrity with a guy who actually led the charge in Georgia 
against um, in investigating the November 2020 thing. So I had that relationship. So I don't know what they were worried about. But in that last month, I mean, I just let it all hang out. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this COVID thing. It's not two weeks. It's 18 months. Did you guys hear Event 201? I started playing the clips from Event 201 to the point where I stopped because people in the studio were just like, what? What? Millions of people are dead. I was like, it was like a war of the world situation. Anyway, so from the beginning of February 2020 to the end, when they basically frog marched me out on February 27th. I had hit like every single false flag conspiracy theory and totally outed Event 201 in the uh, backyard of the CDC, which is in Atlanta. Right. So I had already started the podcast because I kind of was worried. And I had been in training. They train people for 10 years, if necessary, to be a primetime show. So I decided to bring that to um, podcasting. Like, so you don't have to listen to the radio anymore. So Binkley and I would do 10 stories a day, the top stories, drive time news blast. Um, and he's still doing it, but I just couldn't, I've got three kids. I've got a special needs kid. I've got an aging mom. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And it was okay because during those couple of years that we did it, I mean, I used to just get so many emails of people who said like, thank God there's a voice. And, you know, I'm sure you have a similar experience, but the podcast world was keeping seeing people sane. And now, you know, they could, they could bring other people on board, but they had to keep their heads, you know? So now I feel like people are on an even keel. My life has gotten busier. So I see that, you know, we are opening up again. So I decided that what I really wanted to do, what I really needed to do, like to use the gifts that God gave me, is to crack the code on stuff. And there aren't 10 stories a day that really need code cracking. So I figured I could probably add a lot of the value that I was adding without you know, the 80-20 thing. I could probably add 80% of the value, 20% of the time. So now I take two headlines a week and I just try to figure it out. Like, why is Pelosi in Taiwan? What's the real story behind the baby food shortage? Stuff that I think really brought original insights. Not really an activist, but I feel like I can do research that you guys, and I mean, and you do research that I like leverage. I just want to contribute to that. And I lo also love to have these conversations with other podcasters, thought leaders, principled people, and a, a little bit, I do some interviews with maybe subject matter experts, but mostly I feel like the value I add, and they taught me this in radio, is original content, original thoughts. People are listening because they want to know what you think. And I try to, that's what I'm trying to do to make the most of the time. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. It's one of the things I think they're so desperate to try to keep from people, the average people, whatever you want to call them today, that aren't aware of the, the you know, that they're just blindly trusting. I find them to be the minority, really, when you really break most things down, that they're just trying to hide that from people. But the fact that people, especially, I really, post-2016, right, it, 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 there, or 2020, really, and even forward, like that we can see this thirst for just, even if it's not even truth, just alternative perspective. It's like, it's anywhere because it got more and more and more, especially COVID-19 forward, just this lockstep, cannot alter this, not even justifying why you can't speak outside the narrative. You know, so people are very thirsty for that. I go have ahead. such an insight to bring because of the radio, if you don't mind, if I mm, can interject. So on the radio, I, that's what was so unique about it compared to podcasting is that I would have I would have access to people who were not aware of this stuff, not looking for this stuff. And I would get responses from them because it was a call-in show. So when Obama was president and I was a Ron Paul supporter, the other conservative hosts, from what I understand from some of the screeners, would not allow Ron Paul callers, for example. 
And so I would allow that. And and when I would bring the Ron Paul perspective, even from myself, I wouldn't even say this is Ron Paul. I I was educated like that. I was a libertarian. It really awakened the traditional conservative base, the American, um, like the real people who like the Constitution and stuff. And they, A, were so refreshed to hear it. And B, when I would bring truth about stuff in the news, like the Boston Marathon bombing, I had some credibility with these people. And I was bringing it not from a place of kookiness, but I had to do twice the homework as the people who were just ripping off the headlines. And people hadn't even heard it. And you could see them awakening, calling and be like, wow, wow, wow and being open to it. So it was in them. And that's why I feel so strongly that Trump was put in place to take the energy from Ron Paul, take the take the the pushback that Ron Paul is bringing and, and take the, the actual roots out of it that had been reaching people at a really legacy level. That is so I'm so it's so I love that. I mean, this is like I, what I've been saying for my audience since. And I, you know, I, don't, I don't know how any of us could know for sure how or why this was done. But I agree with you 100 percent in the fact that I believe that Donald Trump was like, for instance, here's one of the reasons, one of the examples of one thing, something we do know, which is that the WikiLeaks documentation showed that their emails were ma- that, that between Clinton and her group were like making sure that Trump was on that final stage. We know that because there's email proof. Now, does that mean they thought that because they thought it would make her win for sure or something else? Right. That's definitely so my, possible. But yeah. right. But my my thought is that they whether, you know, the apparatus, not Clinton's administration or potential administration, but the apparatus that was driving the agenda wanted to make sure Trump got elected because the very reason he would pacify the most alarming group to them, the constitutionalists, the militias. Right. And look what happened. I make this joke all the time about if Obama had done even a one percent of what Trump did during his administration, they would have freaked out March of the Streets. They would scream martial law when he blinked too hard. But Trump steps in and literally declares martial law. And they're like, hey, it's good because he's on our side. I mean, hundred hundred percent. I mean, absolutely. hundred percent. And the way I put it is if Hillary had extended um, executive orders or emergency measures called Operation War, you would have four million long guns on the mall. You would have four. And I at the beginning, I was like, let's go July fourth 2020 let's tell them like to stop that stuff i couldn't get answers from anybody all the people who were organizing obamacare rallies that i went to crickets but i'll tell you some tells on why he was on that stage or how i think that it was for real um Mm -hmm. a kind of a setup jeb bush is extremely competent he's competent to the point of uh being um overly like almost cynical overly polished and when he got on to the stage and Trump made a fool of him. Like to me, I felt that was him taking a dive. I kept talking. So uh, I felt like it was him taking a dive. Same thing with uh, it, Jeb put out commercials hitting Mario Rubio, Marco Rubio, which was so, they were so, so bad. It seemed like he was trying to lose on purpose. And don't forget Jeff Zucker, he trained Trump uh, as an actor on The Apprentice to play the boss, to put that idea into that people's heads. And right. There was there were articles written by people at CNN saying Zucker said to be soft on Trump. We have that hidden audio between Micah and Joe Scarborough and Trump. I don't know if you remember this. I think Hank Azaria or Harry Shearer brought it out saying um, he said, hey, don't ask me any hard questions. And they said, OK, I mean, that's, how is that? I actually yeah. hadn't heard that about Zucker in regard to taking it soft. Doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, that yeah. fits with you know what I perceive this to be. So it's, I mean, how do how does a supporter or actually an anti-Trump mentality person look at that and think? You know, it just blows me away that what the partisanship, what I call the two-party illusionists, will choose to ignore 
in real time because they just, I mean, it's, that's willful ignorance. That's a choice to ignore the reality. And it was real time because I was writing uh, articles about this while he was still running. And one of my articles that I just kept adding to was zero cash. How can he be winning? I don't know if people remember that. He spent zero in the can't when it was otherwise billions of dollars, like McCain or Obama, like dropped out of his deal with McCain because right. he wanted to spend so much campaign money. And Trump spent zero. Like it just it just didn't add up. That's an interesting point because you can see historically that I think I'm sure it's changed over the years. The last time I looked was a few years ago. It's something like 96% of the time, the person that spends the most amount of money wins the election, which is right. very alarming, but nobody yes. cares, right? You know, it's like, but right. that's interesting though. So there's a lot of examples that suggest that there was some, you know, go ahead. And I used to say, like, let's just, will you accept my theory if in the end we are not headed in the right direction when Trump is finished? If we are not headed, I'm not even saying we have to make progress. We have to be headed in the right direction. So either he's um, pulling back or he's pulling back the arrow and mm-hmm. it will let mm-hmm. fly. Like he's either pulling back on globalism or he's giving them the resistance they need as a launch pad. And yeah. I feel like that's what it ends up being. Yeah, great and point. Trump might not even know it, but I think he does. That, but I yeah, think he that, he knows enough not to care. Yeah, that's an important point that I'll, I'll throw them that bone because certainly possible, you know, that he's just being played, and he maybe he now realizes it. Maybe things are shifting, and that's why that's January sixth. And all, I, who knows how that's all working? I definitely think that there's a, a ploy to use conservatives, kind of frame them as this problem. You know, there's so much evidence to back that up. Go ahead, you have a thought and, on that. And maybe- it makes me super sad because the people who loved me, like liked my show, loved Ron Paul, loved Trump, they're like, they're, they are in our basket. They're not a basket of deplorables, but they're in our basket. And to one of the things I was reading this old Cass Sunstein thing about how to, mm-hmm. how to destroy truth movements and how to disrupt conspiracy theories. And they say the most important thing, or one of the most important things is to interject into a community competing narratives that will cause infighting. And I always felt like that was really a shame. Well, there's so many examples of that. I I just made this point the other day about like 9-11, for example. And even with COVID, where we're at now, it's like the thing I see, we'll just start with COVID actually. The thing I I see a lot, and this is a valid point to be made. And honestly, I'm on the fence in regard to like germ theory, terrain theory. I think there's valid points to be made on either sides of this. And I don't think these things have been fully defined. I honestly think that we don't fully understand it. And that's why these are the varying theories. But my point is that, well, I'll be having conversations objectively with people trying to convince them that not that I believe that these germs are the dangerous here, but look at what they're saying. And here's how you can contradict their narrative using their own arguments or their science. And they jump in and go, viruses don't exist. You guys are all wrong. I'm like, why do you think that's a productive argument right now? We're not even debating that. And you're just dismissing the whole thing. And I'm like, I think there's an agenda there. Or 9-11, for example, where, you know, we all can realize our government lied to us. That's where we should be standing. But then you get to these nitty gritty points, which are important about whether there's a plane in the Pentagon and, and people will attack each other within that instead of realizing maybe we're one's wrong, one's right. But ultimately, the government still lied to us. So that's interesting. And I, you see that in every category you look at. And I, I would argue QAnon is probably the example of that in the Trump movement or MAGA or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What, say that, flesh out the QAnon one. Oh, like, I, would say, I would say that I would argue that the QAnon whole, like I believe personally, and I think it's clear the QAnon movement has been completely shown to be not legitimate. I mean, I, I believe it's always well, been a government kind of thing. Go ahead. Yes, definitely. Yes. Well, and the so people, I would argue that that yeah. being inserted into this whole thing was a way. Oh, of yes, yes, totally. Them. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. Um, one last point, though. I also yeah. think the QN on movement itself was meant to be the very vehicle by which they drive these people into the violent actions they then use to frame them for what they're trying to create. 
Yes. And you can see how hard that is because the January 6th thing, in my opinion, was completely made up. Like, you know, in the beginning, all the videos that I saw of all the people there, there was absolutely not. The only thing that anyone told me was weird was the Ashley Babbitt thing. Some guy came running out saying somebody was shot and my friend did not believe him. She said he totally seemed like he was lying. And there was like Alex Jones with the scaffolding, people climbing up the scaffolding and he had right. a bullhorn and it was like off to the side. She was like, it was so weird. It was like a movie. So I have, there's nothing there. And I feel like it will take, I, I believe that they probably, they'll have to, uh, I don't know if I can be vulgar, but no, go ahead. Go ahead. This is a, yeah. like it, the, <laughs> they'll get people off the couch when they start cutting their daughter's tits off. You know, <laughs> like they, they are going that. That's what I think is the reason for that kind of extremism mm-hmm. on the woke side is to finally get the like law abiding bill of rights people to say, okay, it is time now. Uh, yeah. And it's almost hard not to agree. It's like, well, look, at, I mean, th- this is a point where you're like, do are we crossing a line of like literally threatening lives of people we care about? Like, is that where we are? And if that's the case, even from a libertarian standpoint, that justifies violence. Right. But see, I'm one that's like I'm taking a hard stance today on ever arguing violence is the right step unless I'm like physically in the moment being threatened just because I feel like it violence begets violence. But I think you're exactly right. And I think it's easy to see that it's almost even justified. That's not what I'm saying. But I understand from their perspective why they might think that. And I think that's what's happening is they're trying to rile these people up to take this action that I mean, I honestly, I'm waiting for the popular what is it or the the patriot front psyop that's coming very clearly being built up around us you know that's going to be driving this next action of you know like for instance i point out the charlottesville whole rise of unite the right the whole thing we we need to realize the rise above movement is not hypothetically not you know on paper the international arm of the azov movement in ukraine which is a group that's been built by the by the cia since 1948 or really the oss and then became the cia this is factual project aerodynamic you can look it up So what does that mean and how are they driving that? So I'm just waiting for this next push. And I think that right now they've primed them to a point to where they might actually take the bait based on what you're saying. Yes. And I think that first they had to take the the like the form over function thing. They had to take the Ron Paul principles out of the Ron Paul energy, which is what Mm. and I I don't want to put it this way because it doesn't sound right. But like in a John Taylor Gatto kind of sense, like dumb them down. And then because what they what they liked about Trump was that he defended them vehemently and Mm. obnoxiously, which he felt we felt they the other side deserved, which they do deserve. They've been jerks like the left wing media has been jerks for decades. So um, they I I also think that what people aren't understanding and, and they did, I think they did a lot of that malicious stuff, a lot of the homework there and experimental stuff before Oklahoma City and Merrick Garland was a big part of that the malicious stuff. So I do think Mm -hmm. you're right that that Patriot thing, they're going to build on that. But what I would urge people to remember is that we still have process. And as an anarchist and agorist, I think it's, you know, it's hard for me to say this, but I I heard, I wish I knew who it was, but an old time um, truthy kind of guy, like maybe like an art bell or something who said, people who are looking for revolution are crazy. Like, not only do you not know you're going to win in the end, and I think about the American Revolution, the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, 10 years in, and somebody hijacked that. So they, mm. there's no way we're, they're, they're fomenting revolution. They're not going to control it. But Especially we still, today. Yeah. 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 And we, with, the, with censorship and surveillance and everything. And right. we still have uh, the Bill of Rights. We still have these processes. And that's what I, you were just like, 
saying about viruses or 9-11, like, like you can sweat the details. That is important. And there are people mm -hmm. to do that. But as far as galvanizing or, you know, getting people to focus and stand together, you have to go with the common ground. And I, I've always, this is what I used to say on the, sh on my radio show, because it was really just normies listening for sure for mm. the vast majority. And I'd say, look, you don't have to believe what I'm saying about the Boston Marathon bombing. It doesn't matter at all if you know about that or believe it. The only thing that matters and you have to have immense strength of character and presence of mind. But the only thing that matters is if you will not let any false flag of any kind, whether it's a school shooting or a marathon bombing, veer you from the staunch defense of the Bill of Rights and the right. fundamental principles of law that have emerged as a concession from the overlords to the people over at least centuries, if not really millennia, you've got the principles of law have been vetted and we need to use them. We need to exercise. It's like yoga and the mm -hmm. Eastern religions, like they're not, they're not necessarily worship. It's, but it is a practice and it doesn't, it doesn't, you can't keep it healthy if you don't practice. And we need to do that. Not, you not let them use the process against us. That January 6th thing, I wish right. they would just outlaw plea bargains and have every single thing go yeah. to a jury trial. Yeah, see, that, that's a whole can of worms right there. The, the idea that, I mean, if you realize how, I mean, that it's a travesty of justice, the idea that most of these things play out when people are in a position where they're being told, you're going to go to jail for 100 years if you don't take this deal. And it scares people, and they don't understand the system, and lawyers manipulate it, and you end up where most people don't actually get their day in court. Yeah, and that, that's just disgusting. But back to the point, go ahead, you have a thought on that? All right, just Tommy ahead, Chong went to jail for something he wasn't even accused of. Yeah, God, that's crazy. That's it was his wife and child story. who were being railroaded and he was like okay and that's okay that's even possible yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean it's it's like i mentioned this the other day in regard to thing like i was talking about abstention and how that's regarded as some anti-american thing even though it's a valid political choice during an election but the idea that jury nullification is something that people just they, they're actually going out of their way to attack people who try to inform people about jury nullification for those who don't know it basically means as the jury you have the right regardless of what the judge or anybody else says to decide amongst yourselves that there is not enough evidence to go forward, even if they generally think he's guilty. I mean, that's that's crazy. And that means the power is in your hands, guys. They don't want you to know that you're allowed to nullify the law. You can say this guy broke the law. It's very clear, but I don't care. The law is nullified and it's against the law for the lawyer to tell you that. Yeah, it's it's wild. there was a case I saw where a guy was literally standing on the front like on a public sidewalk holding a sign that just says inform yourself something like you know generally speaking paraphrasing inform yourself about jury nullification for because people were coming in and they arrested him like and oh my what's God. standing for that like he's on a public sidewalk and they acted like he was influencing the jurors and i'm like by telling them their rights like it wasn't telling them anything about the case but anyway wow. it's that kind of stuff is every day in this country and everywhere around the, around the world and it's 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 upsetting but to, to the idea of how this is being used like her to your point they're using the, you know, the, these equivocating points today saying, well, you know, fire in a theater and we have to use this idea to remove this right because it's not OK or that hate speech is violence. And this is where this all goes today. And it's like they're chipping away at these things one by one. And to your point, we need to maintain our understanding of them and practice these on a daily basis because one by one, they're going to slowly use some justification to remove these from us, you know. And I would argue one of those main points is censorship, right? I mean, that's one thing that we were going to talk about today. And I, I think you've been censored plenty pl throughout your, your career. And I'd like to like hear- Like originally, yeah, I know, before it was cool. It was, right, so, yeah, it right. was so novel that my boss at WSB, when I got- um, 
I got a strike on YouTube for putting up a show that was that I had broadcast off of WSB. So it was on the airwaves. I put it on YouTube and it was taken down for bullying uh, Sheriff Israel. And I remember my program director was like, that is so awesome. You need to play that up. We could even make an ad to say like band on YouTube, broadcast on WSB, like listen to the Monica Press show. And then that was in 2018. And that was shortly before my WordPress site got, that I was totally tricked into getting that thing taken down, really pissed me off. And then later he said to me, like right before the end, he said, hey, you will never, ever be taken off the air for something you say on the air, unless it's like curse words and cost us $50,000. But if you get canceled, if there's an uproar on Twitter of something that you say, because I'm active on Twitter, he said, I will not be able to protect you. <laughs> so the, the worm had turned so much. Yeah. That even though they they wanted to stand firm and they and they did stand firm, they were like, you you'll be useless, you know, you won't be a viable show if you get canceled in the national and and that I mean that's how much it changed in two years. Can you uh, can you speak on the WordPress part of that? Because see, this is Ugh. I this is where that's an early example of where I think we're already we're about to get to more where people's <sighs> domains and and you know actual like hosting level will be removed. That's why I was like annoyed at the whole Alex Jones thing, because both of his experiences have hurt other people and really play into some of the strategies that Cass Sunstein recommended. But in the WordPress thing, so there was a picture that went around of Noah Posner. If May I speak freely? Yes, because yeah, we're on Rockman, right? Okay. Absolutely. So there was a picture of Noah Posner who that was shown. It was in the hands of a Pakistani mom outside a Pakistani school massacre. And then it was also shown on the BBC with a different name. Now, it was his exact picture. He was wearing a little leather bomber jacket with a sheep's uh, collar, I think. And so it was the exact same picture. I knew the kid's name at Sandy Hook. And here was his like, Abdul Alababa or whatever, like some really extremely Muslim sounding name. And uh, so definitely a different world. And I said, I just posted something that said, this is crazy. And I wasn't even saying this is proof of anything. Mm -hmm. I, what I was saying was what, what's the BBC up to? Because I can recognize this on my face. They have professional journalists there. There's no way this is an accident. I think they're, this is what I thought. So I think they might be conducting an experiment at, as how to, how people will react, how quickly information, misinformation, um, rebunking and debunking can happen to mm -hmm. give Scott a shout out. So <laughs> to see how, um, how that works. And, uh, so I thought there was something up with it, but I didn't know that it was a trap for me. So I put it up. So did probably a thousand other bloggers. Mm -hmm. And but I was careful not to say like hoaxy stuff. And uh, they sent me two emails. WordPress did one was uh, there. So there were two different pictures. And he said, um, this guy, Posner, Larry Posner, Jerry, Posner, whatever his name is, um, is the father of this kid. And he says that he has the copyright to that picture and he wants you to take it down. We disagree. We have fought this fought before. Fair this is use, this, first of all. Yes, exactly. This is, and not only they, they cited the law, they cited cases they had fought and I had a business account. So I was paying. Mm. So I had something to lose and they recognized me as a paying customer who has these rights. So, uh, 
I took it down out of courtesy to the guy. Like, I really don't know what the, I mean, I have my opinions, but there's mm-hmm. a chance, right? That this guy's really hurt. Or, and there's a bad, bad taste if the guy, you know, whatever. I don't know. So I just took it down. I'm not confrontational. And it was weird though, because they included his address in it. And, and my husband was like, you mean like, if you were mad, you could go to his house. And I was like, I, I guess mm-hmm. like, that's weird. And then like- Alex Jones, yeah. Got so it. I was gonna say like like bait almost right. Yes, it, yes, yeah. exactly. So then the second one they sent me and they asked for another thing to come down and I said you know and my husband's like just you have fair use we're both lawyers he was like you have fair use and I was like okay I mean I'm not a practicing lawyer but I I went to law school and uh, so hey he's not a practicing lawyer but um, so they. I just left it up and I thought, well, if they take it down, they take it down, but I don't have to take it down. Well, they didn't take it down. They took my entire site down. They canceled my account that my agent, I had an actual person who used to help me if I had problems. Cause I think it was like, not, it was, you know, some kind of enough for them to assign me somebody who would help me personally did not answer me at all. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even find the site. Finally, fortunately, a listener who was a web guy said, Hey, get in there and make, you know, try to get his XLM file or XML. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so get that file. And I did, I did, but all the formatting was gone and all the links and the media and stuff were gone. So I had stuff that like proved what really happened at the Boston Marathon bombing in there. And it's such a jumbled mess. And I, and it really took my, the wind out of my sails. And I used to blog regularly, like write really good articles. And I never, I mean, I'm not proud of it, but I never wrote an article again. And I, I couldn't, I like, I tried to pay somebody to like go through and fix it all up, but it was just mm-hmm. a mess. See, I would argue that's part of the exact reason, not, not an int- a conscious choice. It just ended up that way, but that is the reason they do things like that to, you know, to yes. affect your work and to slow it down. And, you know, just to take the point of something like Sandy hook, it, it this is where we need to draw these lines. And I, I'm tired. I've been saying this because of COVID, but in every possible way, like, I feel like I've just made this decision like a few months ago. I'm like, I'm not like I ever really soft pedaled anything. My audience <laughs> knows that, but I'm just, I am done in even the ways yeah. I do it. Soft pedaling these things that we know are right. Like for instance, like the fact that we have the right free speech and otherwise to speak about these things. I don't care whether it hurts somebody's feelings to be quite honest from a journalistic perspective. I don't care if it upsets a parent. The bottom line is we have a right to investigate these things and research because People deserve the truth. And to be quite frank, I've made very clear in previous discussions, there's a lot of things about something like Sandy Hook that are questionable. I mean, that's a real statement that's obvious to prove. Now, does that mean that I think every other thing that's been said? Well, I, I, I don't. I mean, I couldn't say that because there's a lot of things that have been said. But there's a lot of conversation about whether a hoax or fake or people died or they didn't. And the point is, we should be allowed to discuss that. I don't care how taboo it is or something like the Holocaust, for example. Why are these topics off limits? Doesn't that show us that there's a problem? You know, and that's what really frustrates me about that. And the fact, last point, that you got your whole site removed for simply having the discussion is it shows you where we are. And you are an early example of that. And look at where we are now as they're being proven in COVID, which we'll talk about in a second, to be wrong. You know, it's very interesting. I had a similar experience, which is why I feel I, I quoted PQ earlier, because my experience was that uh, with cultural Marxism, with the transgender stuff, I all of a sudden find myself being bolder than I used to be because there's no way around it. Like I would always say, just don't ever touch the race issue. would never say anything about like all the dumb propaganda that exploits the racial tension because unless you are a person of that minority group, you can't really speak for that person's feelings. Maybe there's something to the deep-seated stuff that is a problem for uh, that you can't understand from the outside. And I will defer to those groups to speak for themselves. But now 
I, that was the other great thing about my show was that people would call in and it was a very diverse city. Atlanta's really diverse. I think it's maybe, it might be like half African-American and African-African. And it's just, it's just, a, it's like cosmopolite cosmopolis and so people would call they would listen for the news traffic and weather so it would be people across the spectrum of politics and they would sell i'm telling you i had this one show about reparations i didn't mean to talk about reparations but people just it just caught fire for three hours and i had mostly liberal black uh, atlantans saying this will just cause problems like we don't need any more division and and i still have relationships with some of the people who used to listen to me on wsb so i know now that and uh gay stuff too like to to um the some of the transgender stuff or the really histrionic um uh you know gay pride stuff that not every gay or lesbian or any any sexual orientation is on board with the politics and the imagery and the exploitation and the approach and you know not everybody has a fuck hate sticker on the back of their mm -hmm. you know it's just and and it makes you everybody has to go into these baskets and then you're not supposed to you know it's supposed to keep you from being able to have discourse about how those right. groups are exploited to undermine their own liberties right. like right. we're all in the same basket when it comes to losing our liberties and th that's an, it's just like with the false flag thing i don't care if you believe that people are biased or not biased if you're being discriminated against anything i don't care about that just defend the civil liberties and it has to be universal or it will it will give power to the top and they will not protect you Exactly. And we're watching that play out right now. But to, to the to the reparations point or plenty of these, you know, these are inherently racist concepts in and of themselves, like the idea. And this this is not like this is my opinion. But you like you're, to your point, when you actually speak to the real people and not the pundits and the people part of the big groups that are pushing politics that they they, they would say it themselves. Like, why do you why do you feel the need to suggest that I even need your help? You know, like the idea that we generally that is it's 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 very least patronizing, you know, and the bottom line is all of these things are kind of in that same vein that they the government acts like they need, you know, I, I the government, nobody needs government support because it's not really support in my mind. It's either a crutch or it's making your life more difficult. But I think we're very clearly clearly seeing that with what's going on around COVID-19. And I think yeah, that's it, a very good. And and it's hypocritical because they're they're saying that you that um Poor homeless African Americans have the competence to vote, but the not the competence to figure out how to vote. I mean, it's really, it's really yeah. offensive. And cultural Marxism is overtly uh, racist. Like they will say, it's an even playing field is not what we're after. It's what we're looking for. The DEI stuff, the diversity equity. It's in their own mission statements that you have to um, disproportionately favor people who have been previously disfavored, but it's of course, like it's a, it, it makes no sense because, and I, I think of the parable of the talents, like some people are suited to some jobs and some people choose some jobs over others to take some, so to over offer for one job. Um, you know, if you're not suited to it and say, well, we'll compensate, you know, we'll, we'll make a special, um, 
accommodations for you. And you're like, I don't even want the job, but it's, it's twice as much as I would make, you know, being an English professor. So I'll take your mathy job because mm-hmm. there's a DEI position available. Like it's just, it really distorts economic efficiency. And then that really impairs prosperity overall. I mean, it's really right. a problem, especially if it comes to um, promoting people who are making good decisions. And, you know, it's just, it's not good. It's not for any, it's not good for anybody except for the elite who really need that pyramid to stay in place. Yeah, the elitists, right? Exactly. Big surprise that it's not actually what it looks like, and it's really yes. helping them instead of you. Big, big shock. <laughs> you know? Yes, of course. How could? Why would you trust them all of a sudden? Anyway, right? Like, where is this coming from? Well, so I, I, I wanted to. So I wanted to. We talk about a little bit of the censorship, like you talked about the WordPress and everything. Actually, I, well, I want to show you something I thought you might find interesting. Actually, I don't know if you're using Rumble as well, but I found it interesting that I, I reached out to him on Twitter today because I've reached out a thousand different ways. And never seem to get a response, but I'm already wow. doing, I'm already getting demonetization on Rumble right now. Multiple wow, ways were. Go ahead. I was just about to like uh, embrace Rumble. I just sound, sound, I, signed up for like the ten dollar plan for so I'm doing live it. stream. I mean, I'm using them, and what's funny, I you get I get more views on there than anywhere else. So it, like it, like the same reason I used YouTube in my pirate channels. I'm going to use anything that's available because yeah. I want everybody to see the content. But what's interesting is that, like I said on the my tweet, there is that this is exactly what how it started with YouTube demonetization yeah. and why they're not just doing that because they well, if they are just doing it because they don't like the topic that's even worse quite frankly but i argue it's because they're being driven by advertisers or whatever else and that's not okay like you can't stand there and act like you're different than youtube if you're just going to do the same things now i don't know my point is they won't respond to me i didn't just do this first i've been trying to contact them for like two months asking them why i have a video that's like five six hundred thousand views and i made like three cents like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and nobody responds. So I don't know where that money, bottom line is a lot of this is happening. And I think we should be very concerned about, we shouldn't put any, our eggs in one basket ever. I think that's an important point there. And I also wanted to play you this, and then we could talk about some COVID-19 conversation. This kind of speaks to what you were mentioning about the, the book you were reading and a book you mentioned there. And I want, we'll play this, play this real quick. And you could tell me what you think about, uh, oh, that I, I didn't bring it up here. One second. No, hold on. I haven't played it okay. yet. I'm grabbing the video right here and then we can, I want your thoughts on this. It's very interesting. And this has to do with COVID specifically. Uh, That's the main reason people aren't aware. So I, what I say is to paraphrase Noam Chomsky, the, Mm. uh, the American economist, uh, the doctors and the general population don't know what's happening Mm. and they don't even know that they don't know. Yes. So I think we have to, people need to understand the structures that are in place that allow what ultimately is misinformation or certainly misleading information Mm. to disseminate amongst doctors and the population Mm. is rooted in too much unchecked power by entities whose only purpose is to gain profit, not Mm. to look after your health. And I'm talking about the pharmaceutical industry here. Mm. And they have captured the regulator. And just, you know, Donald Light, sociologist in the BMJ recently said, um, you know, people need to understand that the regulators uh, as long as they continue to be captured by industry, cannot be trusted because they are selective, mm. they withhold data, um, and uh, and then this ultimately has a detrimental effect if they are approving drugs without rigorous, independent, critical analysis of what that data tells us. And then how does that data get translated into the conversation between you and I, between the doctor and the patient or the member of the public? So mm. if the doctors are misinformed, the patients then get misled and misinformed. Right. See, it's, it's the, the, the key point there. They don't know that they don't know. And that's the important part. Like, this is the idea of one of the key points that come out of the CIA operation. Uh, now I'm blanking on the other term, you know, about, about conspiracy theory push. The idea that, you know, 
well, how can they all be involved? We all hear that from that. You know, that's not how this really works. It's decentralized from top down. They don't know. They don't know. And the point is that these people have been trained over the years to trust what they're told from the CDC and so on. And I think that's so incredibly important people to understand. And I think it is coming out right now. But do you have any thoughts on that clip? Yeah, I was thinking that. Um, didn't we mention earlier that first they had to dumb people down in the um, uh, Trump thing to... I forget what the what the point was, but first they have to dumb them down. And then in like in the mal in the medical schools, they don't teach them nutrition. They don't teach them holistic stuff. So already they're that's why STEM, if you ever saw that, this was great work by Alex Jones, even though I feel like he's a um causing us problems now with is forging the way, whether he knows it or not. But Charlotte Ezerbite, who was in the education department of um, Reagan, and she came out and just said that they were, uh, that STEM is bad. Science, technology, engineering, and math takes out the liberal arts, which free men need to be able to engage in civics. And that's what the Romans did to the Greek slaves. They couldn't afford to have them understand philosophy, politics, ideology, rhetoric, especially especially. So STEM, she thought, was a, a subversive movement. And that is really how the doctors are taught. They're not taught from a holistic point of view. And then there are two other things that I call like the ethical glass ceiling, which is kind of what Updike said was uh, you can't get a man to understand a concept as something if his paycheck depends on him not understanding it. Right. There's two mechanisms for that with the medicine is the malpractice insurance there. You just you you can be sued for malpractice only or you'll lose only if you deviate from the norms so it, you can't it doesn't have to be like a normal tort where it's like in good faith or whatever blah, blah blah or it did no harm basically but like it has to do harm but malpractice means that you violate from the norms and the norms are set by these other bodies the american medical association or the professors or whatever and then the other thing is the hospital affiliations so almost all doctors now are affiliated with hospitals and they if they lose that, they lose a big bulk of their business. And that goes to Zbigniew Brzezinski's crisis of democracy, which was from the early 70s. And they, and he talks about it, if you want to get people in line, and he was responding to the Vietnam protests, which were probably set up anyway, but it still gave him a platform to respond. And he said that what you need to do is make sure that everybody is in, is beholden to, dependent on a non-democratic organization. So get them into a union, get them into an institution, in this case, affiliated with the hospital, affiliated with the university. And then you also have the problem of like the research capture. So government gives research money and the corporations give research money to the universities. They control the research, they control what is researched, they curate it, and then they capture it for patents. So they've got it sewn up from uh, what we can know, what we can do, our freedoms. And then, and then even in the end, most egregiously, I think, they take our tax dollar. We're mandated to buy the vaccines and our tax dollars a lot of times pay for it. That was in the bill that Biden just signed today. Ah, that's just it's so incredible. And I played this a few times, but I think it's a great place to include this. And if you haven't seen it, maybe you'll comment on it for us. But it's such an important understanding of how controlled and rather captured is the best word for it to argue that maybe there was a time before this where it wasn't that the, the, it's it's broken. This ever it's it's oh, it's like, for instance, showing examples of like the EPA or even the CDC being literally invested in the very thing they're supposed to be maintaining transparency on. Like th there's no way that makes sense. And And this is one example of how they've driven us into this idea of believing that the academic part of this is the science and not the other way around people talk glibly about science what is science 
people coming out of a university with a master's degree or a PhD, you take them into the field and they, they literally don't believe anything unless there's a peer-reviewed paper. It's the only thing they accept. And you say to them, but let's observe, let's think, let's discuss. They don't do it. It's just, is it in a peer-reviewed paper or not? <laughs> That's their view of science. I think it's pathetic. Gone into universities as bright young people, they come out of them brain dead, not even knowing what science means. They think it means peer-reviewed papers, etc. No, that's academia. And if a paper is peer-reviewed, it means everybody thought the same, therefore they approved it. An unintended consequence is that when new knowledge emerges, new scientific insights, they can never, ever be peer-reviewed. So we're blocking all new advances in science. I'm, I'm sorry, you, get, you couldn't hear that, apparently. No, but I, I think I caught the last, like, 30 seconds where he said that it's a peer-reviewed thing is is academia. It's not science. That's yeah. genius. I'm strange you couldn't hear that. I wonder why. In any case, the, the point of it is simply that, you know, he's saying that, you know, academia is the, is the paper, but science is, is it's not just the paperwork. And the idea that, like, he makes the reference of, like, candle makers could have never perceived the future of of you know, the light bulb and the idea that if you only asked them, they would have been like, well, no, that makes no sense. And that's the peer reviewed concept. It stops things. And his real point was that all the real big changes in history have come from outside that circle. And today they've locked into it, you know, and it's, and it's intentional. That would explain the non-replicability crisis. So uh, the non-replicability crisis is they take these experiments, they think they've proven something, and then uh, if even they themselves try to recreate the experiment, they do not get the same results. And of course, I mean, I don't know, you're younger than I am probably, but as far as I recall, in fifth grade, they taught me about the scientific method, and I can absolutely spot from a mile away when those basic tenets are um, violated. And the first thing is correlation and causation right. um, and the like a control group having uh, really eliminating all of the variables, isolating variables, all of these things. Any anytime you can't isolate variables or tell which if there's a causal relationship, you can't draw a scientific conclusion. But I can imagine, obviously, if peers bring in assumptions and beliefs that they think were proven. So I have a book called Inventing the AIDS Virus, which was introed by Carrie Mullis, who was the guy who won the Nobel Prize for inventing the PCR test, who died of pneumonia in August 2019, conveniently. Mm -hmm. But he was saying people assumed that the HIV virus was identified and causally linked to AIDS. And there is, no matter who you ask, no one has that study. And I would guarantee you that any peer-reviewed uh, article that came out about that subject, every single peer who reviewed it would bring to the table that HIV was a proven thing. It was identified and it was connected to AIDS. And that will, they would have rejected every single paper that didn't rest on that assumption. Out of hand too, before even, most of you, before even looking at it, like, right. like, especially today we see that where it's like, you don't, you're it, like, it's offensive to even bring that to the table. And the problem is, and like, here's a, the best example. Like you, we could sit here for 20 hours and list <laughs> off all the absurdities <laughs> yeah, of COVID, totally. but the, the idea that you can say the scientific method, which we understand and people understand is, is a process and then say, trust the science, which is literally the opposite of that. It blows me away. 
And they say, this is something they say all the time. We know that science is always changing. And I, I don't, I would not say, put it that way. I would say we are adding to our body of knowledge. Scientia yes. es potentia, knowledge is power. But we are, we are adding, I was going to say science is knowledge, but I think actually it's a, it's a cognate. I think science and scientia are science is knowledge. So mm -hmm. it's almost tautological to say I, I, that it's changing so much as to say, um, or like an oxymoron or whatever, to say that you are adding to the knowledge. So anything that changes from what you previously knew was bad science before or incomplete and should have been identified by that. So I, I will not say science changes. I'll say our knowledge of things that we are certain of and can prove. Right. And that's why to go back to something you said earlier about the germ theory versus train theory, I, I interviewed, um, uh, David Crow, who was the host of an infectious myth shortly before his death in April, 2020 is when I interviewed him. And I was completely, again, it was like years before that I had discovered him. And I thought, yes, this viral theory just doesn't make sense. Other theories make more sense. And then I was absolutely out there with that. And then I got COVID twice. Once was the first person I interacted with who had been recently vaccinated. And then more recently when a vaccinated person literally coughed in my face and I'm like, wow, okay, well, I definitely just got this from that person because then she got it the next day and I got it the day after that. So I, I, I'm theorizing that uh, they have been working on gain of function for so long that they actually have made and they have worked on contagious vaccines. That's the extent we're experiencing contagion right now. It is actually a function of gain of function. It may not even exist in nature, but I, I can't deny observing that it's happening right now. And that's an important thing to, you know, that's, that's why it's important you know, it's you have to approach these things with a little bit of humility because you can get pissed off at people who are blind to the possibility of viral theory being wrong. But you, you, it is important to have the discernment to know what you absolutely know mm -hmm. and what you don't absolutely know. And that goes to these guys, uh, the, the academics who think they know things that they are that are really just assumptions. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the entire history of, of the human species is rife with our, we know for sure, and then, oops, wait, we evolved our opinion. And, and this is the idea of, I, I would frame it as science evolves, right? And that's, that includes the idea of, yeah, and that's important. The body of work doesn't just get dis, dis, right. discarded because it, there's a it, new it, observational it study the CDC just did in 30 seconds. You know, it's, and it would explain right. previous stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, and, and, and you involve it. And that's why it's evolving. But that's the embarrassing part about the way that they do that today is, well, they'll argue, oh, it evolves, but then also say it's settled when they want to. And it, those things don't work together. But that's the whole damn thing, you know. And real quickly to your point, and I, I find this really interesting. And let me know if you do have to go. I know we were slotted for an hour. Um, the idea that, that this self-spreading vaccine is very real technology that they've been researching for a long time, that Johns Hopkins put out an entire thing during COVID about how that is the future of these vaccines, not animal versions, because that is where it began, but human-to-human self-spreading vaccines. And the crazy part about it is, is I argue, or at least theorize, that that is what this is, right? Because we have proof. As I've just, well, Here's what's funny. I was censored, called out, in fact, by the CDC on Twitter, like, I, I don't know if you saw this article. I'll, I'll try and bring it up real quick. They highlighted my Twitter account in their email exchanges with Twitter and saying, you're all Dunce's account, which was my second one after I got censored, needs to be censored as one of a grouping of people. And this is this came out in the. the oh, you're like the dirty dozen. Yeah, well, apparently they don't talk about me, though, when they bring those things up. But the uh, America first legal and the Washington Free Beacon broke the story. And my name was on there as the account. And it was about the idea of spike shedding. 
And the point is that War Dr. Warren was censored on Twitter for making that claim. And then they were forced to give his account back because he's an expert on the topic. He was one of the people that was involved with the original mRNA research. And the point is, we know for sure that, yes, it can spread the, the spikes, uh, the spike protein itself. We also know that, according to the Salk Institute, that by itself can cause disease. So if we know this thing can leave your body and we know that it can spread to other people, which then can cause disease, which therefore means it can cause symptoms and spread. What else do we call that? That is literally a self-spreading concept. Is it COVID-19? Is that even real? I mean, who knows? But the point is, that is provable peer-reviewed science. It's pretty crazy to think about. Do you have any thoughts on that? And, yeah, you and I, because I, I always try to figure out what is like the true nature of COVID. Where did it come from? Are they spraying it on us? Like, where did, because I had, the first time I had it, it was, it was like a, a person who had done a lot of acid said to me, like, you could feel the scientists, like you could feel the lab in that strain because it just wasn't natural. None of my supplements were it's just not natural. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? It's definitely artificial. How'd they get it in me? Well, they definitely got it in me from a vaccinated person. So I concluded that over the years, the last couple of years, I concluded that what they did was they made the reason they had vaccinated so many people is not for herd immunity, but it was for herd contagion. So they had to have 70 to 80 percent of the people or 60 or 70 percent of the people get the injection so that everybody around them would get it from them. And that is when it spiked. That is when it got all Delta was after the vaccine started. Hey, that's a scary concept right there, because one of the things I've been keep I've been saying lately is, you know, it it feels as if. And, and to a degree, 100%, the pushback from the independent media very much did expose what was happening. Same with Ukraine. But I don't know whether that means we like won per se or even paused it because maybe their agenda was exactly what you were saying. It's just getting enough of the population and uptake. And they went over, I don't know, 60% with at least two doses. So that's alarming to me. I think I'm like right at the second just solidifying this idea because the idea of like them having, where did it come from? I keep saying, where did it come from? Wuhan lab, did they spray it in the air? They they got it around with these, with getting people shots and getting the contagion, but how did it start? Because there were people who had it before November. And here's the thing. I noticed, I call it the AstraZeneca effect. The four places that AstraZeneca did their trials are the four places that the variants of interest on the CDC website emerged. It was South Africa, Brazil, Kenya, and the UK. There was something in Japan, but they discontinued continued that for a while. So the four variants of interest came from the fours exclusive in both directions came from those four places. So it is possible that this entire thing was uh, never emerged organically from a lab or even get sprayed on, but really only came originated from injections and then contagion from there could be. That's my working theory. Yeah, I'm trying to grab a thing I wanted to share with you. So I have a very, very interesting opinion on this and how this, I think, since uh, Omicron ultimately shifted. And this this has to do with the Botswana government. Basically, let me just grab this, see if I can bring it up. I'm trying to do a quick uh, search for it. Yep, there it is, I think. Yep. So many of those African guys were killed. Well, here's what's interesting is that the Botswana government, I'm frustrated that I can't grab this right now, but that the, the Botswana government, put out a, a tweet that I've showed this many times that basically said that there were four foreign nationals in a diplomatic mission that they for, was where they first discovered Omicron. And then that spread to South Africa. Now they weirdly just don't talk about Botswana. So I believe, and then even remember, even wow. Gates woke up and said, Omicron's like its own vaccine. So I'm thinking, is that, was that the beginning of this new stage of this? And we saw the big change and all the BA4 and five and all these different things. Maybe I can try and find it. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. No, I did. It It is really suspicious because I remember absolutely distinctly coming out of South Africa and I don't remember the Botswana thing. Although 
I the first thing that I looked up when I saw that Moise, that uh, martyr to his country, the head of the president of Haiti, who was assassinated after. So in February 2021, he arrested some people who were he caught in a coup organized by the attempted coup organized by the Americans. Anyway, he was ultimately killed. And uh, the first thing I looked up is what's the vaccination rate in Haiti? And it was zero. And uh, and then the covid rate was almost zero as well, although like eight. The only eight people who died of COVID there, something like that was like a Supreme Court justice, a legislator. And I just thought that was funny. So but the Africans, there's a, I think I saw a research study that said, like, why did 53 African leaders all of a sudden die? And I think it's highly correlated with their rejection of the COVID narrative and the policies. Yeah, Whitney Webb put out a great article about that. It's, I mean, at the very least, it's worthy of discussion. I mean, it's really interesting. And not just that, but that the people that took their places ended up being like super pro-COVID vaccine. Very strange. Yeah. I, I was able to find this. I'm glad. Okay. And this is really interesting to me. Now, this is one. This is the Botswana government blue checked on Twitter. I mean, you could, it's very, it is their account just for everyone that might be wondering. Here's the release they put out. Now, I, I've, I've gone over this so many times and I just can't get past how important this is and why nobody has at least on the surface asked or looked into where these people came from. It says the main point is the new virus, and this is Omicron, was detected on four foreign nationals who had entered Botswana on the 7th of November on a diplomatic mission. Wow. For those those that don't know, that means they had diplomatic immunity, which means they would have been able to bring in whatever they want and nobody would have known. And then all of a sudden, only the thing they focus on is where it's in South Africa. And they're insiders. The diplomats are the insiders. They're probably CIA agents. Some diplomats have their their own passports. At the very least, we know that's questionable. And I think it's wildly like suspicious that no one's ever talked about that, like on a corporate mainstream level. So this speaks to the idea that this was something that might have been intentionally done. And, you know, I'm not saying I know that for sure. But if anybody on anybody on us should be able to consider that based on all the things we just talked about, the provable peer reviewed science that suggests that's possible. And it was exactly one year after the first rollout. So it looked like November 2021. And it's, you know, I just, I feel like they yeah. have the, I, I used to do a lot of research on um, PSYOPs and they do things like that. Like they have phases and as the phase rolls down, they either pull back or they double up. And then sometimes you see like backstories and narratives changing and they're rewriting history a little bit. That's usually because yeah. they're like, this is going great. Let's do another one. So I'm always yeah. suspicious when it's like one year later, we, you know, release phase two right right and you know it's really hard to know whether this was you know like trying to maximize the damage but a lot of people argue depopulation and you know i for some reason that one doesn't really connect with me for a lot of reasons but the idea being you know, or it could be the alternative it could be that there was maybe they did do something that like as i always argue they would always be rather be seen as incompetent than criminal right oh, so yes. so at the end of the day if you know they're ultimately just didn't work with the way they wanted it to you know or maybe they like i argue this in the beginning the the possibility that Maybe the agenda was to put this out to and and that the people that would take it would be the people that would ultimately be okay. And then, like, for instance, the leaky vaccine theory, not theory, but the the idea of what those mean is essentially that it still protects the person that takes it, but it it, it continues the transmission and it even intensifies. But you're protected. Right. So it would hurt the people that didn't take it. That seems to make sense. And we know it's a leaky vaccine, but. I don't think they factored in or maybe they didn't care about all the things that they always saw before they failed and failed and failed with these mRNA vaccines, the myocarditis. And the point is now we're seeing these people destroyed by these things. 
So was that yeah. the plan? I mean, I kind of find it hard to believe, but what do you think? Well, I, when I read, uh, I, I talk about this repeatedly because it's so relevant. It seems like to me, the report from Iron Mountain from the sixties, they said they, they, the subtitle was on the necessity and, um, whatever desirability of peace, uh, the possibility and desirability of peace. And they said, war serves a bunch of functions socially in supporting the hierarchy. That's all they cared about is that in supporting the hierarchy. And one of the things is population control, but the only weakness of war, war is the absolute best way of doing a lot, a lot of things, occupying men and all this kind of stuff. The one thing that it's weak at is when it depopulates, it depopulates the young, strong, healthy ones. You actually have to, it eliminates the diseased. So what we want is a substitute for war that eliminates old people and people with diseases. So that is exactly what this does, exactly. And they can't deny the statistics that strokes, heart attacks, cancer stuff are going up. They're already trying to whitewash that. It's in Wall Street Journal and everything. So uh, they're clearly trying to cover that up. But they, but I think that I'm confident that the reason they use the spike protein is that having those really tiny little clots and all that, I mean, the spike protein, it's a fusion protein and it makes stuff used together. It's uh, very damaging. And I feel like they did it on purpose because, and this is so clever, that what it does is it exacerbates other diseases and yes. then it masks the origin. And I think that they do yes. want to do that and they're going, they are doing it. It's done. hundred percent. I think that's the last point, even the most relevant to how the narrative at least is going is that it's even classically, the idea of vaccine injury is very difficult to prove. And you find conversations before COVID clown world where they say, well, yeah, if you have a problem, and you know the vaccine was taken before, and there's no clear alternative cause, that's usually a good indication the vaccine was the cause. Not for sure, but today that's not allowed to be said out loud, you know, but we're seeing that play out. I even just saw a great article put out by Steve Kirsch, who, and, and I think working with Ryan Cole, Dr. Ryan Cole, and really saying, you know, saying here is the outline. Here's what you should be doing to find out whether this is a vaccine injury. The CDC is willfully being blind to it because they don't want to see the problem. It's such an easy scientific thing to do is to, to collect <clears throat> a thousand people with strokes and just see uh, if it's a disproportionate number who had the vaccine over the general population. Yeah. If the general population is two thirds vaccinated and the stroke victims are 80 percent vaccinated, that that's a starting point And you'll never get those stats. That is the information. I mean, you can see it anywhere where it's squeaked through in the UK. You can find these correlations, the amount of people that are being hurt and even the per risk per 100,000. I mean, that's why they're so desperate to run away from the data right now, even as they scream, trust the science is because they, it's blowing up in their face. And I don't know how that could be intentional. I mean, maybe we'll see how it plays out, but ultimately we should be giving ourselves a little bit of a nod in the independent media for doing the work that I do think help people see through this. Now, so, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You, you go. Well, I, I was going to say ultimately, so we can you know bring this to an end to, for the most part, I was yes. going to play a, a clip here in regard to the quickly evolving narrative and showing you how much this has really changed. And then we could just kind of talk about a few more points about COVID and, and kind of see where we end here. But let me play this for you real quick. Same. I hope you can hear this one. I'm not sure why you couldn't hear the last one. I think see. it was just slow internet because I started hearing it at the end. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me know if you can't hear it. There are a lot of indications right now that uh, are telling us that there is uh, uh, a protection against uh, transmission of the disease. There is no variant that we have identified that escapes the protection of our vaccine. Against COVID to come now with a treatment of 90% effectiveness, you know, personally makes me a lot very proud about uh, it. And we know that um, the, three, the two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. The three doses with a booster... They offer reasonable protection against... It is necessary a fourth boost 
right now, the protection that we are getting from the third, it is good enough, actually quite good for hospitalizations and deaths. It's not that good against infections, but doesn't last very long. God, what a scam. And as I said here, if you played along with this, it's time to admit that you've been played. I mean, come on. Like, you can't just keep stepping to the next. Well, no, then now it's the 34th one that you need to make it all come together. You know, it's just it's it's so obvious that they're at least trying to keep this going. I mean, it's, isn't that embarrassing? Yes. And I think it rests on getting people to have no confidence in their own critical reasoning abilities. Yeah. And I blame like psychology and sociology for disconnecting us from the, from accepting the evidence of our own eyes. Like, right. oh, I must have had a mental block about, you know, whatever. It's just like, no, he's saying this. You need to trust your own instincts. And, and ultimately it always comes down to everything is the moon landing. Anything you ask people, why do you believe it? Always, always, always. They couldn't, they wouldn't say it on TV and get away with it if it weren't true. And it's just crazy to me. Right. That's always the ultimate answer. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really embarrassing how, how much this has come. Like, like, of course, the CDC discussion where we've seen them now, you know, change their guidelines like 180 degrees. And NPR tries to really clumsily go, it's not that big of a change. It's like it's the exact opposite of what it was before. Or removing the mRNA spike protein information from their website. I mean, they're obviously changing their stance right now without, without having the courage to say that, which is just insulting to our intelligence. But it's clearly changing. So, And what, that's why they have to say science is always changing. Yeah, and now. Like, yeah. Can't, yes, you can't say that you were, you know, whatever. We already did that. But I, we did tease a little bit to just the um, kind of super big picture why the paradigm is shifting. And I just w thought I would throw this out there and see mm -hmm. what you think, if you don't mind. A little no, absolutely. Reversal. Yeah. So, so I feel like uh, for the first time ever, I feel like everybody maybe in the world power is not on the same page. And that could be because I was just wrong in thinking they were. It could be because yeah. of Ukraine. I don't know. But I used to think, and with COVID lockdown, like I feel like the whole entire world did the same thing. There is a Sputnik V, which is the vaccine in Russia. Right. Yet. Right now, the thing, like you were saying, you think people are waking up. You think this is an awakening. I do think that the, you know, big T, they are on the run a bit, but I don't think they're on the run from big U, us. I think they are on the run from a peer competitor. And I feel like they maybe wanted to run the whole world and decided that they just couldn't do it, that the resources, the fossil fuels, the natural resources, the human resources that Russia and China represent, that they had tried to get ahead of that maybe and tried to control them, tried to um, keep their government from being really functional. And now it's just clear that China and Russia are a... Um, are going to negotiate for, for a bigger piece of the pie. So maybe they're deciding to make it an oligopoly instead of a monopoly. Mm. But I just was wondering what you think. That's my working theory on that yeah. now and how that folds in with all the COVID stuff and what seemed to be lockstep around the world. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I tend to see the two things as connected but separate in regard to the Great Reset and then even just COVID policy or what's going on with Ukraine. Like, it's very clear that from a political level, at, le at the very least, they're playing adversaries. And I, there's much, there's like even Corbett's work in the past has shown very clearly there is connection between the U.S. government with China and transit, changing, you know, giving information and so on, usually through Israel. But there's a lot of connection there that they don't want people to think about and talk about. But there are they are adversarial to some degree. I mean, there, there's pol politics involved. There's on the ground. There's the individual people within these governments. Like, for instance, I don't believe people like Pelosi or Lindsey Graham. These people are are 
even remotely in the know of what's going on. I think they're just, these are some of the most uninformed people on the planet, I think, alongside the talking heads in the news that think they're in the know because they know a guy in the CIA. You know, they think they know everything, but they're the most, that's my opinion anyway. But I, I argue that from the big picture, that there is obviously a reason for them to be in lockstep when it comes to the Great Reset because, I mean, it's, it's there any government out there, even with a flavor of authoritarianism, which is most of them, in my opinion, are drooling at the idea of more control over the population for the whether it's financial whether it's because they have some utopian vision of what they can do with it who knows but they all think that great reset will give them that power and that's why you can see that every one of them are involved but i do think that they are still vying for their own things like in ukraine i don't believe that the russia and the united states are ultimately on the same page and i think they're playing their little game and they're they're you know uh taunting each other and trying to get one more thing and and maybe Maybe there is a point to be made about whether, let's just say, Russia and China are a little bit more on the side of, well, we want the Great Reset and all its trappings, but we don't believe in globalism, right? So we'll come along with you, except we're going to draw the line where you get to take our choices away from us. You know, these are all valid points to be made, and I think that's part of what we're seeing. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, I totally agree with you there, and I will give you an example, and then I'll add one thing, and because um, I know you have something too. So the fact that Putin didn't, out ISIS. So he's going for Syria and he, you know, ISIS is us, right? Why didn't he say that? He didn't say that because he uses ISIS in his own arguments for things that he does that he might feel like he needs to get. So like all propaganda isn't for the American audience. Some of it is for the other audience. And it's a very powerful tool. I totally agree. And he will use that. Something else, and I think this plays to our advantage, and I is that he just did a speech like yesterday, the day before, where I believe he um, talked about it, it, it to me it left an impression i'll have to reread it but about like morality and values and self-determination and goodness and all that stuff and i thought this guy really and i think you've referred to something like this really gets to take the high road it's his yes. competitive advantage right now right. as is a level playing field it's always in the in the uh, the underdog always wants the level playing field always wants the rules that that constrain the other guy so because it does come off as a little um disingenuous for this like a KGB guy. Maybe he's seen the light, but I think that they are using that. But I think that's good. That's like a limited hangout. I love limited hangouts. They're for me. Well, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I get more out of them. Right. And well, they, I have mentioned this many times and I'm glad you brought this up because it's, I think, again, who knows for sure? I think this is the thing I like to make fun of the corporate media today. Not like there's an, there's an endless amount of reasons you can make fun of them for, but how really childish and just unjournalistic it is to speak to what you think Putin thinks or feels or what his plans are. You children do not know what he thinks, feels. And you know, it's so stupid to argue that, but it, that's because they have a propaganda politi pol political reason to do so. But I often argue that it makes sense to think about how in a position that you might be in as Russia or China, whether or not you care about people's civil rights or whether you care about doing the right thing to play that role in a time when it's never been more obvious the U.S. government is playing the role at the very least of the bad guy. Now, I don't think they're playing any role at all. I think that they're just showing their true colors at the very least the government, not the American people. Those are two very different things. They don't they are not the country. That's one of the biggest illusions of our time, you know, convincing us the devil doesn't exist kind of a thing, right? Like, you know, they're the same thing. And we're all if you hate the government, you hate the country. Those are illusions. But that Putin specifically, I think, is in a science out of yeah. playing the good role on, in counteracting yeah. what the U.S. is doing. And you can see plenty of examples of why that may not be what he believes. But to your point, you know, maybe he did change. Maybe he did realize that's better for his politics, or maybe he genuinely wants, genuinely wants to do the good thing. I don't know. I don't believe that, to be quite honest. But I think you can see examples of even China beginning to do certain things like that, where they're trying to show you that, look, we're doing the right thing by these people, or 
we're investigating this theory, even though the U.S. government won't let it. You know, that's that that's playing a role, I think. Yeah. If he feels like being religious, if he feels like exploiting religion or appealing to the religious side of people is the way to go. I feel like that's the way I felt about Ron Paul. Like, I love Ron Paul. I don't think he's a limited hangout. But even if he were, I would say, hey, man, if you think that you have to give me Ron Paul to keep me happy, I am like honored. If you think that you can give me Trump to keep me happy, like we're in a sorry state of affairs. So if right. Putin and I don't, I'm not a hater on Trump and I, and I like Trump supporters, but you understand what I'm saying with yeah, Putin. It's I like, if he's got to find religion and appeal to the goodness in people, good, great. Yes. That was, that was going to be my last point is that ultimately, even if it isn't genuine, I mean, is it's kind of a means to, and people are going to at least embody that. Like, this is what we say. I think Caitlin Johnstone is the first person I saw say this is that, you know, if the government, if we didn't want good inherently as the human species, they wouldn't pretend to be fighting for freedom and democracy and spreading human right. It, that they, they play that role because we want that. So let, we need to make sure that that's what's happening. You know, I call ultimately. it the, the moral imperative. We have a moral imperative and they have to acknowledge it, even if they are this rare example of sociopathic people who have no soul, you know, that everyone has a soul. But like, even if they can't empathize, they need to recognize. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it for today. And I, I really enjoyed this conversation. We should do this again, for sure. Me I, too. I love the pace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some people can't think I go too fast, but I, I, oh, I love it. Well, good. I, I really did enjoy this. So I'm going to leave us with another clip to last this out. Another another great one from, I think it's Milk Day TV. I keep forgetting the channel's name. But they make these great little montage clips of like the same kind of thing with Borla, the CEO of Pfizer. And we'll last it out with that. But we should definitely connect in the next so many weeks or so and, and maybe do another focus on some of these topics. So it's it's been great connecting with you. I'd Anything love to. And I am on Rockfin at the Propaganda Report if people want to sample my stuff without commercials or anything. Absolutely. Well, anything else? Any other links? No, Monica's Deep Dives on, on, on the podcast it's monica's it's deep dives with monica perez but since this is rockfin exclusive everybody can go watch my stuff at um uh, rockfin.com slash propaganda report nice nice well i'll make sure to put that in the show notes and everything else thank and monica thank you so much for joining me it's been an honor thank and you everybody out there make sure you question everything come to your own conclusions stay vigilant these are safe i promise you they're safe they work. President Biden has tested positive for COVID again. If we can get this done, we won't have to miss another moment. The president will reinitiate strict isolation procedure. So go get your vaccine and help all of us get back to the lives and the people we love. First Lady Jill Biden has coronavirus. The First Lady who is double vaccinated and twice boosted. And give us back those moments that we've missed so much. Throwing the Biden family vacation into a state of anxiety. I'm Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense. These vaccines safe and they are effective. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has tested positive for COVID-19. For the second time. You know, I've taken it myself. Austin has had three doses. There is uh, a protection against uh, transmission of the disease. No variant that we have identified that escapes the protection of our vaccine. Albert Bula is the CEO of Pfizer, and he just announced on Twitter that he has COVID. He says, I would like to let you know that I've tested positive for COVID-19. I am thankful to have received four doses. So go get your vaccine. Get vaccinated. It's safe.